Hey, uh, before I, uh, I, I start into my message this morning, I wanted to take a minute just for us to be able to pray together as a community, one church, all kinds of locations. Uh, this, this past week, uh, the world watched as a verdict was handed down by a jury uh, in the murder case of George Floyd with three guilty convictions to a man named Derek Chauvin. The world watched this. This was big news that took place. We, we all know the situation and the story from everything that we've seen take place over this last year. But I know to my uh, black and brown brothers and sisters here at Black Hawk Church, this was, this was so much bigger than just big news. For you, this was a historic moment. Uh, a historic moment that moved you in the direction of, of hope. Hope maybe that you have never felt before. And, and with that, there are all kinds of emotions that come with it. There is sadness, looking at other cases that have happened in the past where justice wasn't moved towards. There are also, there can be weariness, realizing that, that one verdict isn't going to change everything for the future. And I just want you to hear uh, from, from us at Black Hawk Church, from me as one of the leaders here at Black Hawk Church, that we love you and that we stand with you for justice, and we stand with you for hope. Look, Scripture tells us uh, that we are to be a community of people who rejoice with those who rejoice and who mourn with those who mourn as one community. And isn't it true? I mean, we all long for the day when Jesus returns. We long for the day when Jesus returns and brings redemption and restoration and justice to this world that we live in where he wipes away every tear. Amen from anyone in the room right now? We long for that day. And yet until that time, God calls us to be people who seek justice and who love mercy and who walk humbly with our God. Not my God, not your God. Our God, collectively, his children, who he calls to be in community with one another. And so until that time, God calls us to be people who love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That means that I'm called to love you as I love myself. That's who we are supposed to be as a church community, a family together. You see, it's not enough for us to say, well, I'm just a part of Black Hawk Church. I'm a member of Black Hawk Church. I attend Black Hawk Church. No, it's so much more than that. That as a church community, we're, we're called to be family. And everyone here, everyone watching knows that family is difficult. Family is hard. So family is complicated. And yet that's what God calls us to be. He calls us to be people who love each other Deeply, And so what I want to do is I just want to take a moment, one, to pray for our, for our city, for our state, for our nation, that God would continue to move, and then to also just pray for our church, that he would help us to be this, this multi-generational, multi-ethnic church that loves people, that loves one another differently. This, group, this church of people from different ages and stages of life, from different places around the nation and around nations that we are from, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, that though we are very different, that together we are family. And as we love each other this way, 
that the world would see something different in us and in that be attracted to who he is. Amen? So I just want to take a minute to pray. So would you just join me in prayer right now? God, we thank you so much for your love for us that does not make sense. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would give us the ability to love one another the same way. God, we pray for our, for our city and the cities and states that make up this nation. We pray, Father, that you would have your way, that you would transform our cities, states, and nations into the places that you intended for it to be. God, we pray for people of different ethnicities and nationalities who call Black Hawk Church their home. We pray, Father, that this would feel like home to them, that you would help all of us together to collectively love one another deeply. And so, Father, we pray, we pray for lawmakers within our church right now. We pray for, for police officers who call Black Hawk their home. God, police officers are in such a difficult situation right now. Would you help them to do their job with integrity? Would you help people who are moving our nation in different directions, would you help them to be able to do that with purity of motive, to be able to move our country, our nation in the directions you want it to go? God, we pray for, for store owners and, and medical workers and teachers and students, people connected to the university for, for factory workers and baristas and people who are unemployed. Uh, Father, that you would help us as a community to be able to love each other deeply, that together, Father, we would seek justice the way and you intended it to be, that we would love the mercy that you show us every day that you would help us to walk with you, displaying who you are. God, this is not our church. This is your church. Help us to be your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people collectively together as one family said, amen. Yeah. Well, uh, Welcome, everybody, to Blackhawk Church. Didn't get to say that a minute ago, but uh, so glad that you are joining with us. Welcome to everyone who is in the room right now. Feels so good to, uh, to be with you all. Feel good to be back in the room once again? Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and would you all here, would you join me right now in welcoming everybody who is joining us online? Can we do that collectively together for a moment? Welcome to everyone at Blackhawk Downtown. Love you all so much. It was so good being with you for even just a little bit uh, last week. And to Blackhawk Fitchburg, welcome back. Uh, cannot wait to see you all in the future. And everyone who's still joining us online from your home or at a gym or wherever it is that you are right now, we're really glad that you're joining us. We are one church in lots of different locations. You know, I just have to say, though, for, for me, it's felt so good having a certain group of people who are able to join back together in person as we've been seeing more of our sites and venues come back online together. One of the things that's interesting that, uh, that has been fun to watch over the last couple of weeks is seeing people as they come back in, you know, everybody's masked up still and setting, sitting separate from one another. But as we try to keep our distance and we're masked, is people trying to recognize each other. Have you noticed that? Every single service I've been to so far, I see people who are like looking at each other, you know, masked up, trying to figure out, is that really you? And you'll see people every once in a while, like standing at a distance and they'll kind of do like one of these, like a, you know, like just to like, and all of a sudden these people go, ah, you know, and get all excited about seeing each other. I, and I'm guessing that for all of us over this last year, we've had those experiences. Wherever it is that you go out to. My wife and I, this past week, we were headed to Chipotle to grab dinner. We're standing in line. We're standing not 10 feet away 
from a couple who we know from Blackhawk downtown. Young couple who, I mean, we've known for a while. They have served at Blackhawk downtown. We did their wedding for crying out loud. And we're standing 10 feet away and all of a sudden I'm looking. They both, they both had ski caps on, you know, cause it was cold outside and, uh, and mask. And I'm like looking and I'm asking Rachel, is that them? And, and we're both kind of looking, but trying not to look like we're really staring at them. And then they start looking at us. And then I did a, you know, and all of a sudden it was this moment of like, hey, it's so good to see you. You know, it is so great. We all have those stories. Of course, okay, let's be honest. There are those moments over this last year where isn't it true, it's really nice to be able to go out and be anonymous? Like if you had those, you know, like you have these moments where, you know, I mean, you throw, you throw this on and, and, you, and you throw one of these on. By the way, do you think that my choice of hats was maybe well thought out just a little bit? Let's go Brewers. It's a new day, people, that's all I have to say. So, but isn't it true? Like you can go out, you can go out looking like this right now and you can go out and you know that, okay, most likely I'm going to be anonymous, which is kind of fantastic. I mean, for, you know, I mean, I don't have to shave, you know, women don't have to put makeup on. You can just go out. I don't have to brush my teeth because there's a mask. Now that's gross, but admit it, you've done it. And you go out places and you're like, I can pretty much be anonymous. No one is going to know who I am. See, today we are actually going to look at a story where Jesus had a hat and mask moment as he spent some time with, his, with a couple of his followers who had no clue who he actually was. So in light of that, turn with me if you've got your Bibles or however it is that you pull up your Bible on your smartphone or tablet, turn with me right now to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24. We are, uh, we are in uh, the last week of the short little series we've been doing uh, since Easter called Greater, where we've been taking a look at some of the different stories of Jesus and encounters that he had with some of his different followers, different people after he had risen from the grave and the impact that that had on this particular crowd of people. Now, next week, we start this new series that we're really excited about called Homecoming. We're going through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and the Old Testament. We think it's going to be fantastic. But this week, last week of this particular series, called Greater. And, and, and the story that we're looking at this week, it's interesting. Let me give just a little bit of background on where it is that we are heading. In this particular story, Jesus has been risen from the grave, not for weeks, not for, for days, but just for hours. Like this is later on on Easter. And, uh, and, and what all has been taking place? The disciples have all gone into hiding because of fear of what could happen to them. And, and, and on this particular morning, all of a sudden, Mary and some of the other women, they show up and they're saying that the body of Jesus is gone. They ran into an angel who told them that uh, Jesus is risen from the grave and they don't know what to do with this story. And so you imagine in the midst of this, there's like confusion and chaos, people trying to figure out what really happened. And in the process of all of that, there are two followers of Jesus who decide that, well, they're out. Like they're, like, they're going to take off. They're headed to another town. You know, now the interesting thing is in this story, we're not told why it is that these two followers leave, but think about it. If you had thought that Jesus potentially could have actually risen from the grave, would you leave the city? You see, these two people, they're dealing with all kinds of different stuff we're going to hear about 
as we get into the story. And that's where we pick things up as they are on their way journeying. Chapter 24, starting with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, now this is such a weird story. We don't know exactly why it is that they can't see Jesus, but they're having, Jesus is having a hat and mask moment with them, you know, in the midst. They are not recognizing him. Different theologians have different ideas as to why Jesus might not have been recognized. Some believe that Jesus, well, his resurrected body looked a little different than what he had looked at looked like previously. Some theologians believe that, that God um, in this moment had kept these two followers from recognizing Jesus. We don't know what the reason is, but we just know that they don't recognize him in this moment. Go to verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood their faces downcast. I just think that's, that's just classic. Jesus knows exactly what it is that they're talking about. He knows in that moment but he's starting them on a journey that they don't even realize that they're taking. You see, they're headed to Emmaus, but they don't realize the journey that Jesus is about to take them on. And Jesus just knows these two guys, well, they are in a dark place. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. <laughs> it's just classic. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women, well, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but... They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Okay, Cleopas and his traveling buddy explaining this story to Jesus without realizing it's Jesus. And do you realize what Cleopas has done? Okay, can we just call him Cleo for the rest of the day? It's gonna be way easier for me. Cleo, you realize what Cleo has done in this moment? He has just laid out to Jesus the epic plan of God to save the world. Fact by fact. Everything that had taken place, he's laying it out to him. Yep, Jesus, he was, he was taken in by the Jewish official, officials and arrested. He was handed over to the Roman government. They crucified him. He died. And now they're saying that he rose from the grave. He's telling them the story of God to the redeem the world, but he's disappointed because he can't see the big picture of what it is that Jesus is really up to. Like he, you pick it up. I mean, if you look at verse 21 for just a second, he says in that moment, he said, but we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the one who was coming to redeem Israel. You see, for all the followers of Jesus back at that time, their, their perspective was that Jesus was coming 
And he was going to be the coming king to put Israel back on top as the figurative superpower of the day, raising them up from underneath the Roman tyranny, uh, Roman empire and the tyranny and oppression they were under. That's what they thought Jesus was all about. It was, see, it was kind of like their small view of who they thought Jesus was, was actually blinding them from the big picture of what Jesus was all about. Do you ever think it's possible in your life that your small view of Jesus and what you're hoping he's gonna do actually might be blinding you of what Jesus is really up to in the world? Years ago, Back when I was in high school in, in Fort Lauderdale, um, I went to a Christian school there, and, uh, and I kind of dabbled in the world of drama and theater a little bit. My junior and senior year, I took a drama class in school. It was taught by a man named Mr. Briggs. He was one of my favorite teachers that I had in high school. You know how in high school you just have those certain teachers? Maybe you're in high school right now. Certain teachers that you just love. Well, Mr. Briggs was one of those people for me. And, uh, and every year, our school would put on um, a Broadway musical. And, uh, and this one particular year, the musical that they were putting on was The Music Man. And so I decided to audition for this musical. And so I had kind of like worked things ahead of time, and I came in to audition. And I decided the part that I wanted in the musical was, if you know the musical at all, Professor Harold Hill, the, like the music man, like the big, it, it, the big guy. It was kind of like, hey, if I'm going to be in this, it's go big or go home. Come on. I'm going for all out, you know, the main character. And so I auditioned, and I thought I crushed it. You know, I mean, I just nailed it. The music, the dancing, all of the things that I had to do for this particular part. Do you want to see? Yeah, yeah well, I'm not going to do that. So there you go. <laughs> but I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I thought I had nailed the audition. And all of a sudden, the day came for that the, the cast list was, uh, was posted. And uh, I went and looked, and I did not get the part of Harold Hill. In fact, I got a much smaller part in the musical altogether. And I was bummed. The person who was the director of the entire musical was Mr. Briggs. You see, and I had hoped he was going to give me the part that I wanted. And when that did not happen, well, I was frustrated and bummed and ticked off at Mr. Briggs. Didn't really want to talk to him. You know, so the musical happens. Spring musical. And once we're done, a few weeks after that, we've got a few weeks left at the end of the school year. And in high school, you know, those last few weeks, there's really not all that much happening. And one of the days in our drama class, we were sitting around having a conversation, a bunch of us, on, on what we could see each other doing as we head into our lives. You know, if you're a high school student, you're looking at the future and going, man, sky's the limit. We were all talking about what it is that we could see each other doing in our careers. And as we were sitting having that conversation, finally they came to me. Mr. Briggs looked at me in that moment. He said, Matt, he said, you know, I could see you being an amazing pastor. <laughs> no one had ever said that to me before. And all of a sudden in that moment, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was like there was a seed that was planted inside of me that changed the trajectory of my life, moving me in a direction I had really never thought about before. See, my... I had hoped that, that, that Mr. Briggs would give me a role in a high school musical that would last one weekend, that would give me fame and notoriety around the school for a short period of time. I had no idea that Mr. Briggs was going to pray, play a role in my life that was instrumental in the direction that I would go for my entire future. You see, my view of Mr. Briggs 
and the role that he would play was too, too small. You see, for Cleopas and his, his traveling companion, their view of Jesus was too small. They couldn't see the big picture of what Jesus was all about, and because of that, they were ready to walk away. Okay, another question for you. Have you ever thought about walking away from your faith? It's kind of a vulnerable question, isn't it? I mean, for some of us, we've been Christians for a long time. Do you ever have those times where you, you, you're questioning, wrestling, and doubting, trying to figure out what it is that you really believe? We don't like to say it out loud, and for a lot of us, my guess is that we have been there even though we don't like to admit it. And one of the reasons why we go there is it, one of the reasons why we consider walking away is because sometimes we get so caught into seeing something that we think that Jesus should do in our lives. And if we were to really unpack all of that together, we would look at those reasons and we would go, yeah, those, that's, if Jesus did that, yeah, that would be amazing. But our view of Jesus becomes so small. And we know that Jesus has this big, huge, massive plan in the world. Sure, yeah, whatever. But it doesn't seem to help in the midst of these small situations that we really, really hope and really, really hope Jesus is going to move and really feel like if he were good, this is something he would do. I mean, for some of you, it's like you had hoped, you had hoped that Jesus would cure your cancer or the cancer of someone who you love or care about friend that you have. You would hope that the sickness that someone you know would go away, and it didn't. For some of you, you, you would hope that you'd, buy, you'd be married by this point, and that hasn't happened. Or, or, or you, you had hoped that uh, your marriage would work out better than it actually did. For some of you, you uh, maybe you hoped that, that the financial issues that you're in would be taken care of by now. You would hope that you would find a job and that hasn't happened. I mean, for all of us, we had hoped that COVID would be over a long time ago and it hasn't taken place. And it's in those moments as we see the way that God is working that it causes us to kind of stop and question and wrestle. And we get to the place of even asking, do I even really believe that God really exists? Like, do I really even believe that he's actually there and we consider like walking away? And that's just one of the reasons why we might consider it. I mean, for some of us, I mean, other reasons why people walk away. Some of you, you've had, you've had horrible, horrible situations happen in the past with the church that you were a part of. And because of those situations, you look at it and you go, man, if Jesus is somehow connected to that, man, I'm out. For others of you, you might look at the way that things have gone politically in our country in the last year and the way that people try to connect Jesus to either particular party. And you go, man, if Jesus is connected to that party, I'm out, regardless of what side it is. For some people, you look at it and you go, man, I, the way that I have seen Christians work in culture over the last handful of years and people who have fallen, if that's really, if Jesus is connected to them, I'm done. Some of you, you might look at different groups of people that you think that somehow have been written off by the church and you go, man, if that is the church and that's God, then I'm out. I want nothing to do with it. We all have all sorts of different reasons that we might consider walking away you know, from the faith. There are those times that we see these things and, and, and we look at walking away. One way that people think about it in today's day and age, there's a word that's used a lot um, in the last couple of years in Christian culture called deconstruction. 
And when I say deconstruction, I'm not talking about deconstruction from the world of academia. I know that that is, a, that is something that happens in the world of academics. This is different. This is not the world of academics. These are conversations that happen between two people in a coffee shop. This is deconstructing of one's faith. It's in other words, kind of the idea of, of taking my faith and pulling it apart piece by piece from the things that I learned and the traditions that I was a part of to see whether or not I really completely buy it. And the thing that's reality about deconstruction, anytime that you step into that, when you're in that world, man, it feels scary. Years ago, um, my wife and I, we decided that we were going to remodel um, the main bathroom in our house. <laughs> now, now, when I say we decided that we were going to remodel, we were going to redo, I really mean my wife uh, because she's the one who does all the house projects in our family. She's the one who owns all the power tools, and I am the little sidekick that brings her snacks. You know, so that's pretty much my role in anything that way. And so she was going after this bathroom, and she got to the tile in, in, in the bathroom, you know, kind of around the shower and the bathtub, and realized that there was mold and rot actually behind that area. And so she started tearing everything out, going after it, and, and, and really deconstructed everything, tore everything out all the way down to the studs, all the way to the outside shingles of our house that the one wall was on, where you could, <laughs> you could look through the shingles and you could see our backyard. And at that point, when she got there, she freaked out. She thought, oh man, what have I done? I, like, I am in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the next steps are. I feel like I've gone too far. I don't know how to put things back together. And she had this like mild freak out moment. And we ended up calling one of our friends who had done remodeling in the past. And he came over and he looked at things and he's like, ah, no, 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 no. It's okay. This is normal. This is where you're supposed to get to. And gave us an idea of where it was that we were supposed to go. But the, we, me, the sidekick, making snacks, really what Rachel needed to do to, re, to rebuild everything in there. But here's the thing. Going through that process was normal. For some of you, you might be in this place right now of where you're going, I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not sure I believe it. I have doubts and questions, and I'm wrestling due to all sorts of different things in my life. And I just want you to hear from the front that that can be normal. And on top of that, I want you to hear, welcome to Blackhawk. We're really glad you're here. And our desire is to try to create space where you feel like you can ask those questions, where you feel like in a safe environment, you can, you can take a look at what it is that you truly believe. Because I think that for all of us, people who have been Christians for a long time, it can be really easy to pick up on traditions from the past where really it ends up there's more like traditional rot and mold that needs to be gotten rid of in order that we might find the true bedrock truths of who Jesus is and the way that he desires to affect our lives. Deconstruction is is normal. It's a normal process to go through. One thing that we have put out there just to talk about this subject because I don't have a lot of time to get into it. I can't deal with all the reasoning and give you answers for all the things I brought up earlier, but we put together a podcast. One that came out this past Wednesday and another one that's coming out this next week, a two-part podcast on the subject of deconstruction done by our own, three of our pastors on our staff, Chris Kopp and uh, Tiffany Malloy and uh, Michael Napstad. 
And you can just go on to our regular podcast and you can download it. But I want to encourage you to take time to listen to it. There's great opportunity, great conversation, great resources that are available for you. It's a great way to dive into it if you're dealing with this subject. But we just want you to know here at Blackhawk, we want to be with you in the process of this. And the reason why we say that is because Jesus is one who shows over and over again that in the situations where people questioned and wrestled that he was with them. He wasn't bothered by the questions. He wasn't thrown by them. He just walked alongside them. That's a trend that we have seen every week in this greater series. Think back to Easter when Mary Magdalene was having her freak out moment and didn't recognize Jesus was throwing all things out and Jesus just walked alongside her. Last, two weeks ago, Chris talked about doubting Thomas. Jesus was with him. Last week when Lynn stood here and talked about Peter and how Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus moved towards him and reinstated him. And now in this situation with, with Cleo and his traveling buddy, they say, we're walking away. Jesus says, great, I'm going with you, even though you don't recognize me. You see, we pick up on the reality of the God that we serve. He promises that in all situations, he's one who is with us. Scripture talks about it over and over and over again. So these passages, look, Isaiah 41. So do not fear, I am with you. Hebrews 13, never will I leave you. Deuteronomy 31, 6, uh, your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Classic Psalm 23, even though I walk, walk through the darkest valley, I won't fear any evil for you are with me. Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us. In Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says, surely I am with you always. We have a God who is with us. We decide to walk away, Jesus says, well, I'm going with you. You know, if I can speak to a particular crowd of people here, for some of you, you're not in a place right now where you're questioning. But my guess is if you don't right now, at some point, you're going to have someone in your life who is questioning and wrestling and struggling. One of the greatest things that you can do for them in that process is just to be with them just to be willing to walk with them through the process of the scary elements of asking questions and dealing with doubts, that you would be a safe place for them, people in your life, people in your family, people in your life group, to create a safe environment for them to be able to ask the questions and potentially get rid of the spiritual rot and the spiritual mold that might be in their life, that they would land on the truth of what God really says. Because ultimately in this story, that's exactly what Jesus does. He walks with them but then he doesn't just leave them in their deconstruction and misunderstanding. He moves them towards reconstruction. Let's go back to the passage for a minute. Verse 25, Jesus is walking with them and he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, the entire Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Jesus takes them through this walk of all of the scriptures. Okay, anybody wish that they could have just been a fly on the wall on that conversation to hear all that take place? Man, Jesus just unpacks it all. 
and helps them to see the big picture that all scripture points towards the world's need for a savior. And he just continues this conversation with them. He doesn't just leave them in their deconstruction because look, if you're in a place right now dealing with deconstruction, fears, doubts, all of that, the goal is not just to stay in your deconstruction. It's to ultimately move towards reconstruction. And it can be really easy to kind of fade to black in the midst of deconstruction and sort of live in this place of semi-deconstruction, semi-reconstruction. I mean, it's just who we are as people. I mean, let's admit it. How many of us have house projects that we never really finished? You got like two thirds there and then it kind of backed off and now you're just sort of living in the midst of like unfinished baseboard or you know, a room that's half painted or whatever. You're like, it's fine. See, we're people who we could easily not move towards the full project. Man, if there's anything I can encourage you in, it's to not settle for this world of semi-deconstruction, but to move with people, to move through scripture, to move towards Jesus, however it is that you need to, to get to a place of understanding his love for you and his desire to transform the world, that you might see the big picture of who he truly is. That's the goal is that we would move towards true re construction. Okay. So story continues. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. I just think that's classic. He acts as if he's going to continue on. You know, yeah, no, I'm gonna keep going. Oh, what, wait, you want me to stay? Well, okay, I guess I could tonight, you know? So, and he pulls that move. So all of a sudden he's having dinner with them. It says when, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road as he opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <laughs> this, is, this is so cool, what's taking place in this moment. Think about this. When is the last time that Jesus' followers were with him? It was just a few days before where the disciples were with Jesus in the upper room, it, celebrating a Passover meal that Jesus took and infused life into it in a way that they never expected by saying to them, look, this bread that you were taking as he broke bread and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. He's, run, he's, he's working through all this with them and they don't get it. They don't understand what's going on in that moment. But all of a sudden, Jesus is now with two of these followers and he takes it and he breaks bread. And in that moment, it's as if like all the cosmic tumblers inside of them came together where they got it. They all of a sudden, they saw Jesus. They recognized him for the first time. And in that, not just physically, but the fulfillment of everything that had been written in scripture. And not only that, but with that, they saw Jesus is not just about coming to redeem Israel. He's coming to redeem the entire world. They got a picture of the worldwide restoration project that Jesus was about. And in that moment, as all of that came together, he disappears. I mean, come on, Jesus. It's like the ultimate mic drop moment right there. What happens in these guys as that took place? Well, <laughs> it says they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. 
In other words, they, they didn't say, wow, that was pretty amazing. Tomorrow morning when it's light outside, why don't we head back and we could tell everybody? No, at once. At nighttime, no flashlights, no GPS, seven miles in the dark, all the way back to Jerusalem because of what they had just experienced. Because when they saw the truth of who Jesus was and what he was all about, there was a passion that was lit inside of them. You know, the, the title of this message today is Greater Passion. It's taken me all this time just to be able to get to that moment. Now you know what the title is truly all about, Greater Passion. You know where passion truly comes from? It comes from when we see the big picture and we realize the impact that that has in our lives. Think about this. What did Cleo and his buddy realize? Because it's what was true for them is true for us today. One, I'd never thought about this until I was working on this sermon. I've looked at this passage so many times and never thought about this. They saw Jesus physically. In other words, they saw that he was alive. Up to this point, they're still thinking Jesus is dead. And now it's not just they've seen him. They've seen him resurrected. They realize the resurrection is true. He actually is alive. And not only that, but he's the fulfillment of everything. And not only that, but his plans are massive. He is so much bigger than we realized. And that big, massive God just spent the entire day walking with us because he loves us that much. He spent the entire day with us and our questions and our misunderstandings and our doubts as we were walking away. You see, when they understood Jesus to this level, yeah, they headed back because there was a passion that was lit inside of us. Like, I don't know where you are. But when we come to the place of realizing that Jesus is alive, that his plans are so much bigger than ours, and when we realize that that big, massive God who is about a worldwide restoration project desiring all people to come to him, when we realize that that God is one who loves us enough to walk with us even when we walk away, even when we doubt, even when we question, it moves us towards a passion. It changes who we are. It changes the way we speak to one another changes the way that we love people. It changes the way that we live in all situations. It changes the way that we share the message of Jesus. God desires to move us towards a greater passion. And that passion is found in an understanding of who Jesus is and how he walks with us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much the fact that you, you don't write us off when we think about writing you off. When, when we walk away, you don't say good riddance, but you just walk alongside us. And I pray for anyone in our church listening to this message right now who are dealing with questions, wrestling, doubts, that they would, Father, feel your presence and know from what your word says that you are with them. Would you help us to be people as we move towards deconstruction at times that would not just settle for semi-reconstruction, but that we would move to the place of understanding you in a new and fresh way, that it might transform who we are from the passion we find in seeing who you are as the God of the universe. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
And all God's people at all sites, all venues at home together collectively said, amen.